0: Amen, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 17, Genesis 17, I truly believe in the Lord's providence as we study through his word that he has led us to this passage for this weekend and we have a lot to cover. So for the purpose of time, we're going to dive right in. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read all of this chapter. And then we'll go back through and look at some of the principles that I believe the Lord wants us to see in this passage. So if you would, let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 17. It says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. "'Walk before me and be blameless, "'and I will establish my covenant between me and you, "'and I will multiply you exceedingly.' "'And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, "'saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, "'and you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. "'No longer shall your name be called Abram, "'but your name shall be called Abraham. "'For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, "'and I will make you exceedingly fruitful.' And I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, "'Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant.'" you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with the money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants." A servant, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I'll bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. And then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him." "'As for Ishmael, I have heard you. "'Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful "'and will multiply him exceedingly, "'and he shall become the father of 12 princes, "'and I will make him a great nation. "'But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, "'whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year.' "'When he finished talking with him, "'God went up from Abraham.' And then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael his son, and all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner— We're circumcised with him. Let's pray together. God, we we thank you for your word that speaks so plainly to us about who you are and how you work in our life. And God, I pray for these few brief moments you would help us to hear your voice. And God, I pray that we would apply the truths of this passage to our life, that we might not be hearers only but doers of your word, that we might live out your truth in our life, that we would glorify you in all we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we come to chapter 17, we find Abraham in a place of of probably great discouragement. 17 naturally fits with 16. You'll notice there at the end of 16, it says he was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now he finds himself 99 years old, 13 years have passed. Uh, He's raised Ishmael to what a Jewish person would have considered adulthood at the age of 13. But for 13 years, Abraham has been forced to some extent to belly up to the consequences of his own sin and his own failure. And while Ishmael was certainly a blessing to Abraham, and while it's obvious as you read the passage, you see Abraham's heart for Ishmael. He loves Ishmael. But Ishmael is also a reminder of the consequences of his own sin and the friction that now exists in his home between Hagar and Sarah and him and Sarah and him and Hagar. And all this mess has been created because of his own disobedience to God and what he had called him to do. So here is Abraham, an incredible place of of discouragement and failure. And God is going to come to Abraham with all of his catalog of sins and failures. God comes to him and picks him up. And it's a, a powerful picture of how God God deals with all of us in the midst of of our failures. It's a powerful picture because this is not how we typically deal with people. We're slow to forgive. We're we're slow to give a person a second chance. Even us as Christians sometimes, we have difficulty and we easily, far too easily sometimes, will ride off a person who's let us down or failed us or found themselves in a place uh, of failure. and Maybe even years down the road, finding it difficult to give them a second chance. But aren't you glad this morning that God is not like us, that he is quick to forgive? You know, that that verse in scripture, we often quote that the Lord's ways are not our ways. Do you know the context of that verse is a context of God talking about his forgiveness? God is saying, you have trouble forgiving, but not me. What a great encouragement to Abraham as God now comes to him in his sin and his failure. And God is going to encourage Abraham. And he's going to encourage Abraham in at least three ways. Three ways I want us to see very clearly this morning. The first is that as he he comes to Abraham, he's going to remind Abraham of his power. And in verse 1, we see a new name for God, a name we've not seen yet, but you'll see running throughout the Old Testament. It is God Almighty, is the Hebrew name El Shaddai. It's an Old Testament name for God that speaks of his invincible might and power. And I believe that God is again taking Abraham by the hand, and he's saying to Abraham, stop looking at your own sin and failure and at your own circumstances and look at me. That, Abraham, I'm the God of the impossible. I'm the God who delights in letting the odds stack up against me. Abraham, I'm the God who delights in striking a straight lick with a crooked stick. That, Abraham, I'm the God who delights in taking weak people and using them for my purposes to show off my power. He's saying to Abraham, Abraham, don't you dare succumb to passive desperation. There's no need to resort to the flesh. There's no need to scale down the promise. I am God Almighty, and there is nothing too difficult for me. See, I feel like in so many ways in my own life, probably in your life as well, when we find ourselves in a place of discouragement, it's often because we've spent too much time focused on our sin and our circumstances and too little time focused on the power of almighty God that we worship and we serve. And if your life is focused on you and your power, and if your life is continually consumed with your circumstances, you will find yourself in a place of discouragement. But the more we focus in on God and who he is, the more we become a hopeful, confident people. You see, what you think about God is going to determine how you live. And the difference between us and the world as Christians, as believers, the difference between us and the world is not that we don't see the problems. We, we, we understand. We're not a group of people who stick our head in the sand and pl- cover eyes and plug our ears. No, we understand that we live in a world that's got problems. We live in a nation that right now has got problems, amen? It's not that we don't see the problems. The difference between us and the rest of the world is that we not only see our problems, we also see God. See, you remember Israel and then they, when they sent the spies in, and then they, they sent those 12 spies in, and the 10 came back, the majority report came back. Is the majority always right? No. The majority report comes back, and what did the majority report say? We can't go in there. We, we can't. They're giants, they're monsters, and we're just little Israelite grasshoppers. But two individuals, and let me ask you, any of you name the ten spies, the ten other spies? Give me one name of the ten other, you don't remember them. Their names are in there. But two of them came back. Joshua and Caleb, and what did they say? We can take it. Let's go. Now, did Joshua and Caleb have an overly inflated view of themselves? No. Was it that Joshua and Caleb didn't see the problems? If a CNN reporter showed up, Joshua and Caleb, what'd you say? Well, we didn't see any giants. No. The difference between Joshua and Caleb is not that they didn't see the giants. The difference between Joshua and Caleb and the rest of the ten was that they saw more than the giants. They saw God. And they knew what God could do. They understood God Almighty. Can I just ask you a question this morning? In the midst of the world we're living in, what do you see? See, most of us, we become specialists like the Israelites on grasshoppers and monsters and giants. We become specialists on things like viruses and politicians. We don't have a clue about God. Now more than ever, we need to, like Abraham, lift up our eyes to El Shaddai. The God who is all-powerful. The God who is able even to take even all of our sins and all of our setbacks and turn them around for his purposes and his glory. So much of what we see today is obstacles. I truly believe this with all my heart. So many of the things that we see as obstacles today are nothing more than opportunities to God show up, for God to show off his power and his glory. Do you believe that today? Not only do we see a reminder to Abraham of his power, we see a reminder of God's plan. Running throughout this chapter, you see God reaffirming to Abraham his promise, his purposes, his plan. Over and over again, God speaks to Abraham. It's so redundant, but God is speaking to Abraham about this is what I'm going to do. Abraham, I've already told you, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make you into this great nation, and I'm going to give you land. And so Abraham, you might be biting your nails, but not me. Abraham, you may be shook up by your circumstances, but I am sovereign. Abraham, you may feel like you just lost 13 years of your life, but know this today. Abraham, my plan is right on schedule. Are you convinced of that this morning? Are you convinced that God is sovereign? Or do you see God up in heaven and biting his nails? Well, boy, I didn't see that pandemic coming. I don't know where that came from. Didn't see all this unrest occurring. Didn't see that coming in the mask mandate. Didn't see that one coming. What are we going to do now? Or are you convinced today that Christ is sovereign and he is building his church just like he said he would and his plan is right on time? <clears throat> God has a plan and his purposes will not be stopped. He is driving him. Listen, if you're going to follow God, you have to have a clear sense of the divine will and divine plan. See, there was nothing in Abraham that made him constitutionally better than everybody else. What made Abraham great was his faith in El Shaddai. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 4. What made Abraham great is that he believed that what God had promised and purposed to do, he was able to perform. Abraham had a clear understanding of what God had said he would accomplish. And he trusted that God was able to do it. See, biblical faith has a clear understanding of the divine will and plan and then trusting God to give us the grace and the power to accomplish what he is determined to do. And the key is there, what he determined to do. So many times in our life, everybody's asking, I wonder what God's will for my life is. Can I just tell you today, stop it. It's not about God's will for your life. It's about God's will and attaching my life to what he's determined to do. Big difference about who's being used in that. See, a lot of American Christianity is using God like a genie in a bottle to bless what they already planned and they wanted to do. Rather than going to God and say, what have you planned to do? And then let me see how I can attach my life to your plan. Because here's the deal. God never promises to bless your plans or my plans. But he says, my plans always succeed. So you can come up with ever what you want to do and then just hope that God will bless it, or you can just figure out what God already said he's going to do and join him and know that it will succeed. I think I'd rather go with the latter version. But then the question we have to ask ourselves is, God is telling Abraham what he was doing then is, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you land, and through you... Will come an individual who's going to bless the world, and we know that person to be Jesus Christ. What, do we, what is God's plan today for us today? How does this apply to us? What is God's plan today? Well, we know what God's plan is, don't we? Do we know what God is doing today? We know at the end of every one of the Gospels, God, just like he did with Abraham, he reiterates it over and over, and he includes it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I I want you to be my witnesses. I'm making disciples. I'm drawing a people to myself. That's what God's doing today, that there's all these people out in the world that don't know Jesus Christ, that he desperately wants to have a relationship with them through faith in Jesus Christ, and he wants to use us to reach those people, which, by the way, is astounding to me. But God wants to reach those people. In fact, the only reason that Christ has not returned as of yet is because God is patient and he desires none to perish. And not only does he want to bring those people into a saving faith with his son Jesus Christ, but he wants to transform them into his image. That's God's plan. That's what God wants to do today. That's what God is doing today. And you and I, our responsibility is not to come up with a new plan, but just to join him in what he is doing. And so to walk with God requires a clear understanding of his plan. It's a great encouragement to Abraham. I'm God Almighty. My, my purposes will never be stopped, and here's what I'm doing. And then what's really cool is he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, you get to participate. I want you to join me. And so he encourages Abraham with his participation, but he gives him four things he needs to do. Number one, in verse one, he gives him a command, walk before me and be blameless. It's a call to holiness in Abraham's life. God is saying to Abraham, I am holy, you be holy. Now, is Abraham going to be perfect from this point forward? Not a chance. We're going to find out. He's going to make all kinds of mistakes. But here's the deal. The heart of God's people is that they are pursuing holy living. They are pursuing righteousness. They are pursuing blameless lives. Now, will we be perfect this side of heaven? No. Will we one day be made perfect? Yeah. What does Philippians 1, say, 6 say? He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion, to the day of Christ Jesus. God will complete us at some point. Now, we're never going to reach that on this side of heaven, but that does not prevent us from, every, from getting up every day and committing ourselves to holy living. See, if we know what God's doing, God is doing in your life, he's trying to transform you into the image of Christ. That's what he's doing. Philippians 1, 6 6 says that's what he's doing. Every morning when you get up, he's working in your life to mold you and shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. And so every day when you get up, you get one of two options. You can work with him or against him. And so the goal of my life is to get up every day and say, God, thank you for not giving up on me. And today I commit myself again to holy living. I want to live for you. I want to your, your glory. See, we know what his plan is. We know what he wants to do. And, and the heart of his people is I want to live in such a way that I accentuate the gospel message that I'm proclaiming. The New Testament oftentimes calls it living above reproach. Listen, if we want to participate with God, the heart, we're not going to be perfect until we get to glory and see Jesus, but the heart of God's people is saying, I know every day I'm pursuing perfection in my life. It's what I like to call the impossible possibility. Do you know if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you? You have the ability to say no to sin. Did you know that? In every instance, you have the ability to say no to sin. Now, will you do it perfectly every time? No, but you have the ability. And nothing should stop us from pursuing perfection in our life to the glory of Christ for the growth of his kingdom. Abraham, you want to walk with me? you got to walk with me and be blameless. And then secondly, what do we see? We see a change of names, which is a large majority of the focus of this. He's going to change their names. And there's so much we could talk about in the change of names. But, But what I love about this is with both Abraham and Sarah, God is putting them, he's pushing them out into a precarious situation that demands divine intervention. Because think about this with me. Abraham's name, it means what? Abram means exalted father, which was probably a bit embarrassing on its own. What's your name? Exalted father. How many kids you got? Zero. That's funny. Imagine I'm coming back next year. Hey, exalted father, how's it going? Well, actually, my name's not exalted father anymore. Well, what is it? God changed it. Now I'm father of a multitude. How many kids you got this year? Zero. (laughs) Imagine Sarah. Sarah's name means princess. God changes her name. Her name now means mother of many kings. How many kids you got, Sarah? Zero. What in the world are you doing? And Abraham and Sarah are taking those names to themselves. And they are stepping out into a world. And they are saying to this world, unless God comes through, we're going to be the laughingstock of all Mesopotamia. See, following God and participating in his mission requires you to step out in faith to God to put you in dangerous positions, precarious positions. Where if God doesn't show up, you're going to look like the laughingstock of Lenexa. Can I just ask you this morning, when was the last time you stepped out in faith, in obedience to God's word, and your prayer was, God, I'm stepping out in faith right here, and if you don't show up in a big way, I'm going to make you and me both look dumb. And if you haven't experienced that in a while here's my challenge to you share the gospel with somebody this week because every time i do it there's something in me that gets incredibly fearful and the prayer that goes through my heart is god if you don't show up right here we're both going to look like fools See, the Christian life can be described in a lot of ways, but boring and safe are not two descriptors of the Christian life. See, the problem with a lot of Christians is is about as exciting as our prayer life gets is praying over a bowl of oatmeal in the morning. How dangerous is your life today? What are you doing right now in your life that requires divine intervention? That's what God does with his people. What would your life look like today apart from the supernatural power of God? If you unplug the supernatural power of God from your life, would it look pretty much the same? Are you just doing what any other individual in this world could do? We, I ask this oftentimes of our church. What would Lenexa Baptist Church look, look like apart from the supernatural power of God are we just doing what any other organization could do and quite frankly a lot of organizations could do a whole lot better than us or or are we engaged in an eternal mission that's bigger than ourselves that every day requires divine intervention I went back and I was looking through some old photos from Lenexa Baptist Church and we found a cubby back there where, where Chris Taylor and Pastor Steve stuck away a bunch of pictures and I was going through this box this week and I saw a picture of Pastor Steve standing on this ground when it was nothing but a cornfield, and he had a hand of dirt, and a little dirt in his hand. And I remember him telling me when I saw that, it reminded me of him telling a story to one of the church members when they were over at the Borgade building, the little Borgade building and he, had, they, they, he said we need to purchase that land over there and somebody said to him, what in the world do we need ten acres for? Oh, church like oh, why do we need 10 acres? And Pastor Steve cuz God told me one day we're going to have 2000 people coming to worship. And you know what that individual his response to Pastor Steve? He laughed at him. And you look at the early days of this church and apart from divine intervention, it would have gone nowhere. What are you doing in your life that requires divine intervention today? Abraham's being pushed out. You're going to take a new name, father of a multitude, mother of kings, and you don't have any kids. You know why? Because I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to have to have my divine intervention. You're going to look like a laughingstock. And then we see the whole issue of circumcision, the biggest portion of this chapter. And uh, as I was praying about this this week, this is, we got families coming together, and I thought, you know, in the worship service, and why couldn't God just tell them to get a tattoo, you know? I mean, it would have been a little easier to explain to the children, but uh, the point of this, <laughs> that was intended to be funny, y'all are not working with me this morning. <laughs> maybe you need me to go in the gory details this morning, I don't know, maybe you wanted those details, um, But the picture here is, the overriding picture here is that circumcision will become to this group of people a permanent outward sign of an inward commitment to God. What we see Paul talk about in the New Testament a lot is that circumcision apart from a true heartfelt change and commitment to God means nothing. But what they were symbolically saying in this sign of their covenantal agreement is that they were being cut away from sin. There was a cutting away here. And if you know the previous chapter and the trouble that Abraham got into, you understand why this particular cutting away is occurring. And what Abraham and his family is saying is we're stopping, that the whole reason this nation exists is not the flesh. We tried the flesh. That didn't work out well. The only explanation for the, for the birth of this great nation will be the supernatural power of God and his promise to send a child who will save not just us, but all his people. And so it was an outward expression of an internal commitment to cut away from sin and completely commit themselves to God. And what is our what is the sign of our covenant today? It's a baptism. Baptism. The sign of our covenant is an outward expression of an internal commitment. In those baptism waters, there's nothing supernatural about those baptismal waters. What makes those baptismal waters sacred is the internal commitment of your heart, same as it was with the the sign of circumcision. But what God is telling the nation here is, you got to be deeply committed to me. You got to be all in. You got to put away the past. Can you imagine what teaching lesson this was for the family of faith? Eight years old. You don't have a choice. But this is who we are. We're a people, Abraham. We're a people that that have been cut away from the past and the flesh and sin. And we're completely committed to God. And what mattered most was the circumcised hearts within them that were giving themselves completely to God. And what's so powerful at the end of this is Abraham just does it. He's obedient. That's what you see in verses 23 and following. He just starts going through his family and I'll be honest with you. I think that took more faith than leaving Ur of the Chaldees. I mean, put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a moment. He didn't know anything about this. God gives him instruction, and what does he do? Simple obedience. And do you see what God has done through this process? In fact, throughout this process, there's just a spirit of repentance. But He's brought Abraham back to a place of simple obedience. And and, and God's patience towards us in our times of wandering away from God, God's patience towards us in those seasons where we disobey God and we walk away from Him, God's patience in those moments are always intended to bring us back to a place of renewed obedience and faithfulness to God. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. God is leading Abraham back to a place where he's deeply committed and obedient to what God initially told him to do. Do you see what God is doing here with Abraham? Abraham, I'm not done with you. I am El Shaddai, I'm God Almighty, and I've got a powerful plan, and I want to use you to accomplish it. Abraham, you get on board with me, and watch and see. You've tried it your way, you went in the way of the flesh. You thought you were smarter than me, and where did it get you? A lot of misery. Now how about doing it my way, and let's see what I can do when you simply give your life to me. You may have heard the story of charles blondin charles blondin was the guy who tightroped across niagara falls a whole bunch of times would do all these shows people would meet him out there he'd do all these crazy stunts tightrope uh, walking across niagara falls and on one occasion had you know, this group of people out there and he walked across and then he pushed a wheelbarrow across the tightrope to the other side and he got to the other side y'all like that yeah yeah, yeah that's great like me walking across yeah, yeah, you, you, you think I can push a person across in that wheelbarrow? Yeah, yeah. Well, get in, zero volunteers. And I think that's a powerful picture sometimes of the church. Do we believe that God is almighty? Yeah. Do we believe that God can do immeasurably more through our lives than we could ever think possible? Yeah. Get in. It's not enough to just come into this room and sing his praises. Sooner or later you've got to go outside those walls and participate in the mission. You got to get outside the boat. you got to trust him. And you got to know, God, if you don't show up, we're both going to drown. And you know what it's, you find in those moments? God is always faithful. It's the 11 o'clock service. i got a little time. Look at this verse. If you got your Bible, you're getting extra material, all right? Hebrews 10.38, I love this verse. We'll close here, I promise. I love this verse, Hebrews 10.38. you got to see this. Hebrews 10.38, the first part of this verse, we all know. The latter half, I'm not sure we're all as familiar with. But when we were going through Hebrews, this stuck out to me, and I don't think I'll ever look at this verse the same again. Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. We know that part. But my righteous one shall live by faith. That's Abraham. Abraham living by faith. But then it says this, and if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him. You know that shrinks back, it's it's a nautical term. It's a, it's a picture of a boat going across water and shrink back to, it means to take down the sails. So it's the picture of a boat out on the water and then they take down the sails and the boat stops dead in its tracks. So if he shrinks back, if he takes down his sails, my soul has no pleasure in him. God is not pleased when you and I take down the sails of our lives. See, the Christian life is the supernatural power of God Almighty wants to use the ordinary sails of our lives to direct us where he wants us to go for his purposes, for his mission, and for his glory. But when our lives simply become about our plans and our dreams and our goals... And we miss the mission, we take down the sails. And our lives, spiritually speaking, stop dead in their tracks. Do you know what we need today? We can point to a lot of problems in our world. You know what we first need to do is take a look at our own lives. And what I would like to ask every one of you in this room is have you dropped your sail? Or have you completely gone in with God in His mission and His plan, knowing that He will not be stopped and His plans and His purposes will succeed? I believe God is doing something great in our nation, and if we want to be a part of it, it's time we got on board with God and got serious about the mission that he gave to us to make disciples and be his witnesses. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your, uh, your word that instructs us so clearly on who you are. You are El Shaddai. You are all powerful. You're the God of the impossible. And you have a plan. God, there's no doubt about what you're doing today. You've telegraphed it for us in your word, you're drawing a people unto yourself. You're building your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God, I pray that we would engage with you in your mission, and we would see your power displayed in our lives, our families, our homes, in our church, in our city, and in our nation. God, I pray today we wouldn't shrink back and drop ourselves, but we would give our lives completely to you, and we would see your power displayed in us for your glory and for the growth of your kingdom. I pray that all of us today would renew our commitment to you and to your mission. God, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that they would see today that they've been on, made on purpose for a great purpose. God, that you knew them before the foundation of the world and you loved them. You sent your son Jesus to die for them, to save them from their sins so that they might have a relationship with you and so that they might have purpose and meaning, that they might live for something bigger than themselves. And God, I pray that you would draw them to to yourself today by means of your grace and they would come to know you. They'd come to know grace and forgiveness, peace and joy and purpose and meaning to life. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.